0: Welcome to the Always Be Comedy podcast. Our guest today, Ed Gamble, star of TV, star of podcasts, most importantly, star of Always Be Comedy. My name is James Gill, as ever, joined by my comedy husband, Always Be Comedies, Tim Lewis. Tim, how is
1: everything with you? Fantastic. I've been enjoying a lovely week at Soho Theatre with Adam Richards and Tim Key. It's been wonderful to to for greats how's your week been it's been great it, it,
0: it you've sort of like broken my heart by reminding uh. me that i haven't been with you this week um but we probably should give a, a pod shout out to ben who's been stepping in for tim
1: always always Comedy. tim he's been doing great fantastic love ben uh <laughs> ben poxon plug for him he's wonderful ben poxon lovely dude great energy very friendly uh, so, you, Tim, you've you've unearthed a gem there, so thank you. I'm delighted, and I, delighted to say I'll be back and we won't be seeing him again. <laughs> <laughs> we, we very much will be seeing him again. Yes, please. Um, The Always Be Comedy
0: podcast is where Tim and I sit down with a comedian or a comedy adjacent person in the future. We'll be branching out away from comedy, but one step at a time. Will Poulter, if you're listening, that's the dream. Um, we get them to curate what would be their dream, their fantasy comedy gig. Who would open it? Who would MC it? Who would close it? But more than that, how do they unwind after a gig? Do they have pre-gig rituals? All this and much, much more. Uh, Tim, what we would say of Ed Gamble, there are a, a select handful of comedians who can reduce any room to rubble, and Ed Gamble is one of those.
1: Ed Gamble is an absolute comedy monster. He is one of the best MCs around. But also, as a touring act, oh, my God. People are absolutely obsessed with the guy. He is so good. He His material is brilliant, off the cuff, even better. Maybe not even better. <laughs> Just as good, I'm going to say. he is Just fantastic. as good. He is fantastic across
0: the board. So, yes, Ed Gamble, one of those acts, especially when he plays Always Be Comedy, you look at the room and people are... I can think of a few instances where I've thought this person might have a heart attack because they're they're <laughs> bendable, they're red, they're red in the face, they're crying. Uh, yeah, Ed Gamble, a f- a f- a phenomenal talent. Now, before we get to Eddie G, the mailbag, I don't know how much we're gonna be able to get through, the mailbag we are delighted to report is bursting at the seams. We asked for positive comedian encounters. Uh, Harry Wrightson met Tom Davis uh, after a show uh, went for a pick with Big Tom Big Tom D, bought Big Tom D a pint, had a great chat, uh, loves his appearances on David Earl's podcast, uh, loves it when James is a guest on David Earl's podcast. I really regret reading that bit out loud, but I promise you, it does say it. Tim, don't edit that bit out, definitely keep in. Oh, and the, the, here we go. Other people then came up for a photo with Tom and he had time for everyone. He is such a gent and I love all his work. I now love the sweet, sweet soul even more. You know what, Harry, you're absolutely correct. Tom Davis has got great energy and he's a great dude. I may have told this story before on the pod. I'll try and whip through it very quickly. Nick Helm was making a TV show that Tom Davis was on. Tom Davis walked onto the set and was like this. Like, imagine like the guy on camera two. Tom Davis goes up to him. All right, Steve, how's it going? Have you had a good weekend? Then like someone from wardrobe walks past Tom Davis. All right, Mandy, uh, hope your kid on a nice birthday. And then, and then say, uh, someone from sound walks past, Terry, good result for us, not the weekend. And Nick Helm was like, ah, this is this is a masterclass. Tom Davis is one of those people talks to a runner the same way that he would talk to an exec producer, the same way that he would talk to the guy on catering, same way that he would talk to, yeah, Tom Davis, one of the good guys, and we reckon future guest on the pod. Uh, Kevin writes in, uh, loving the podcast. Uh, Regarding the Andy Hamilton, one bracket, sorry, I'm I'm a bit behind. I apologise. And you request to send in positive positive encounters with comedians. Right. It's Josh Pugh. Went to go see him at the Edinburgh Fringe last year, a few days before the gig. Right. Kevin dropped something. Josh Pugh immediately, quicker than uh, The Flash, uh, picked it, bent over, picked it up without a second thought, and was very cool when Kevin spoke with him. Again, Josh Pugh, one of the great dudes, and also, uh, I, I tell you what, I'll share this. You know, you can't see this. I will happily, I will share the picture if you like. Oh, Josh, Josh Pugh is someone that Tim and I love a great deal, and he's one of those acts. We saw Josh, Josh did some of our lockdown gigs, the old Zoom gigs, and Tim and I, when we see someone that we think is, a special talent. We will try to help that person as much as we can, and that we, that is something that we've done with Josh. And Josh very kindly th- feels that Tim and I have helped him. So Josh plays football for England's partially sighted football team, and what I'm holding up, uh, but you can't see it. Josh gave me one of his cap. He gave me one of his England caps as a thank you, with with the sort of handwritten note. Uh, that would make a glass eye weep. And so also Josh is is he's, he's partially sighted. So Kevin is a measure of the man that the, the first thing he did, even though he's partially sighted, was help you out when you, when you drop something. Oh my God, I'm nearly crying with how much I love Josh Pugh. Um <laughs> But he's an absolute diamond. Correspondence, here we go. If, it's, if I'm talking even more quickly than usual, it's because there's a lot of correspondence. Right, here we go. Russell listening to David on your podcast and you're so right David is a relentless source of quality material that has kept me entertained on and off stage for more than 10 years, even if he does hate the praise. He does hate the praise, but we have to read it out Russell because we agree. Steve agrees when Tim mentioned the combo pilot episode. Combo pilot episode. Yes. If you've not seen it, this is one of David Earl's comedy characters combo. Incredible creation. Maybe, maybe there will, there could and should be a, a combo sitcom. There are, uh, Steve writes, there are only two things ever, Capitals, that I've made people go to their house and demand watch. That and Rick Mail Kevin Turvey, the man behind the green door. That is very high praise for Combo. Comedy Joe, another great pod today, fellas. Also, I've just looked at future shows and you've got some crackers. So much so that I'm even going to venture to the Tommy field instead of just attending the online shows. Comedy that. joke. That's the spirit. If you love the pod, but you've never been to an always be comedy show, come in. The water's lovely. Uh, Wozniak time. Listened to the David Earl episode and said, my blood ran cold at three of your anecdotes, Santa and two assaults from the audience. Well done. Wozniak time you might be thrilled with an upcoming episode imagine if it was a twist and it wasn't the anyway we'll leave that one there uh from chic i've just listened to the david earl podcast episode and it is excellent one bit resonated again which follows from the romesh episode in the romesh episode you said that nobody could be more pleased about his success than you This made me realise that I'm in the same place. I know what you are like for receiving compliments, but I genuinely feel the same way about you and Always Be Comedy. I've been attending for nearly 10 years now, and in that time, you've grown from one, maybe two nights a week, to successful shows, four to five nights a week. Not only that, but you and Tim were light years ahead of everybody else with the online shows in lockdown, which has led to the success of the additional shows, and the podcast is doing phenomenally well. There is not an ABC fan that is more pleased for you than me. Thanks for the great nights at shows and in the car, and I'll proudly continue supporting you, Sheik." Now, that's very kind. Thanks very Very much. Very kind. We'll be honest. Tim had to edit a couple of bits out because I got a bit verklempt, (laughs) as they say. Uh, And uh, yeah, thank you. And also, I've got this running joke uh, at at TV warm-ups and at gigs about trying to get a lift home. And you'd be surprised how much it works. When Sheik comes to shows, he gives me a lift home, and I'm always very grateful So, Sheik thank you you are our biggest cheerleader and tim and i are very very grateful louise writes in with with louise's drinking lineup right they've for mc they want barry humphreys as dame edna Everidge. a perfect choice lobbing, gla- lobbing gladiolite rather than harry though yes lovely I reference. that's a great reference that is a deep always be comedy cut, and we appreciate it louise uh i seem to remember them being on a flying harness and hovering in front of the dress circle at one stage so if you can get the dream harness and wires in they could get right over to the back row that's a great shout but under no circumstances should les patterson be allowed in the building do you know what i once saw les patterson mc for dame edna at wow the yeah at the royal albert hall and oh, my god i'm gonna say something controversial
1: Les Patterson stole the show. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Les was on one that night. I'm very jealous you went to that show at all. That sounds incredible.
0: Well, Dame Edna is, I mean, you know, we're talking God tier. But that night, Les was just, I don't know, man. Les Les was mainlining the universe. I think that's a a true detective reference from Matthew McConaughey. Uh, next up Victoria Wood, who was my absolute favorite comic voice in my teens and who made me laugh until I ached when I first saw her live on her lucky bag tour. Uh, I'm sure you can make a, a space for a grand piano in the dream version of the Tommy Field. Louise, you are absolutely correct. And in the uh, oh, and in the Emily Hamilton episode, you spoke about seeing Ken Dodd in Scarborough, and I also lived through the Doddy experience uh, on our seaside summer holiday when I was ten. We didn't have a bus to catch. It's a reference to the Hamilton episode. Uh, So we stayed to the very last minute. I think we heard the chimes at midnight. Oh my gosh. Incredible. So Doddy might have done five hours that night. (laughs) Oh my God. Because Doddy would would often have to start early to accommodate the late finish. And even if he went on at eight, he's he's done four hours. Uh, In this dream gig, we have no anxiety about last buses and trains or work the next day. So Ken Dodd can close the show. Holding us captive and captive and captivated until the wee small hours. I also saw, I also saw Mike and Bernie Winters in a summer season in Bournemouth, but can remember nothing about this at all, which is telling. Right, I know that's <laughs> I know that sounds like a dig at Mike and Bernie, but Louise is oh my gosh. Louise is referring to an Andy Hamilton anecdote. So please, if you've not checked out the Andy Hamilton episode, it is a callback. Uh, as you know, I'm absolutely loving the podcast and every, get, every guest brings a fresh twist and perspective. Bravo. And Louise is coming to Jenny Eclair show. Louise, phenomenal. If you want to send in your dream comedy lineups. So I, th- I, think, I think Barry Humphreys is pulling Double Duty as MC and opening act. And that is, a, that is a terrific shout, Louise. Please keep them coming in. The team at alwaysbecomedy.com. Also, I know we sound like a broken record. Please do, right, imagine, I imagine you're on a train, you're listening to the podcast, looking out the window. And basically, this is what I do when, I look, when I'm listening to a podcast. Please get your phone out and drop a five-star review. Just trust us on this. It helps a great deal. We're very grateful. Uh, we'll read them out and all that malarkey. Oh, you don't have to write, if you can't bother, you know, if you don't have time to write a five-star review, That's absolutely fine. Actually, there were a couple that we could read out, but we won't. We'll do. We'll read them next time. Uh, But just to drop a five without leaving a review, that is awesome as well. Um, Right then, Ed Gamble. Right. So Ed and James, sorry, Ed Gamble and James Acaster are doing some off-menu dates, but they sold out quicker than Adele. And so Ed Gamble does have a book coming out. It is called Glutton by Ed gamble if you google glutton ed gamble you will find it it is coming out on the 26th of october you can pre-order it there are signed copies available through say waterstones ed gamble glutton the multi-course life of a very greedy boy and we think it's ed sort of using food as a device to talk about his life Eddie's one of, I mean, he's, nat- he's, he's one of the most naturally funny people, but also the written word is he's also hysterical. Eddie's just a, a, he's just funny, funny, funny across the board. Again, one of those dudes, comedians, top Trump. I think he's scoring pretty much tens across the board. Do yourselves a favor, uh, pre-order Glutton out on the 26th of October. Also, Ed Gamble fans, I mean we're all Ed Gamble fans, Ed is doing a run of work in progress shows with us at Always Be Comedy, starting on Monday the 4th of September, these are at the Tommyfield Kennington, and they run through, we're doing two a month, and they run through until Tuesday the 5th of December. One of them has already sold out, which tells you all you need to know about Sweet Sweet Eddie G, but there are eight shows, you'll find them at alwaysbecomedy.com slash tickets. Why are they so cheap, the tickets? It's because it's a work in progress show. And so you will, if you bought a ticket, you think, oh, that was cheap, but because it's a work in progress, at the end of the night, you'll go, ah, the ticket price was fair. Uh, and that's because, if you've never been to a work in progress show before, it's because someone is prepping for a tour. And so sometimes, they might be honing bits that they know work, but similarly, there there's also a strong chance that there'll be stuff in there that might never have been said out loud before. And as our running catchphrase at the your goes, you might also witness quite a few Keddington exclusives. Uh, but it is a great chance to see uh, one of our finest comedians uh, working ideas through, and there are a few people better at that than, than Ed Gamble. So without further ado, here is the wonderful Ed Gamble. Delighted to have very much the podfather on the Always Be Comedy podcast. Ed, do you mind me saying this? (laughs) When you you WhatsApp me with questions about the podcast and my my heart swells at the thought of you listening to the Always Be Comedy podcast, so thank you.
2: Well, a lot of my questions were sort of picking the format apart, to be fair, so... (laughs) It's very you that your heart still managed to swell, even though I was really putting the boot in on some of the uh, some of the more specific elements of the way the podcast is put
0: together. <laughs> Me to my wife Emily, Ed says the format doesn't work.
2: Ed says the guests have been picking annoying things.
0: <laughs> Ed said literally that you may as well pick a singing bear. I did say that. <laughs> uh now ed obviously the the off menu is is an absolute juggernaut and we like to we like to help people plug things in the opening section but this will be like plugging a beatles gig in that it doesn't need any help i mean is it fair to say they've all sold out oh yeah the the off menu tour's sold out yeah
2: that's that's all gone um but should we we should plug my book maybe because that i don't think that can sell out can books sell out no, not no, I thanks can. to they sweet, just, sweet Kindle. They just print more of them, right? Um, so, yeah, I've got a book coming out, James, in October, and you can pre-order it now. It's called Glutton: The Multi-Course Life of a Very Greedy Boy, and it's about my life in food. Please talk us through
0: the book. What's what's the what's the well, I'm format? I'm not to talk you through the book. That'll I don't mean spoil take ages. It. I don't mean sp- <laughs> pages. Me do my audio book page seven. Uh, what you know what what's the format what can what can EDG fans expect what can Off Menu fans expect
2: A lot of uh a lot of hot takes uh a lot of my uh well look it's it's one of those sneaky comedian memoirs where a comedian writes uh, a memoir um but also being quite self-aware that probably my life isn't uh, interesting enough to warrant a memoir so I've made it about a different topic uh that I enjoy talking about uh so it's my whole life, I've been sort of connected uh, to food in various ways. So obviously, I do a lot of stuff with Off Menu and Great British Menu now. Uh, but I was always a very greedy child. Uh, and there's stuff about ty- having type 1 diabetes in there and losing a lot of weight. And, you know, I, as soon as I sat down to write it, I looked at the word count. And I thought, how, how am I ever going to write
0: all of that? And then it, it just flowed out of me, James. Good lad. Did you Now, did you treat it like like some comedians... We'll treat it like a job, you, you know. uh a ling. That's them opening the shop door. Nine and o'clock, well. six o'clock. Dilling a ling, leaving the shop. We were, were you the same, or was it just writing as and when?
2: No, I had I had to treat it. I had to dilling a ling because um, it got uh, things were quite busy anyway. So I had to basically set aside a massive chunk of time to sit down and write. Well, it is my job, so I, I had to treat it like a job, which is the first time I've ever really done that with. With comedy and writing, because normally I just rock up to your gig, scribble a few things while I'm stood in a corridor, uh, and then and then plop it out in front of people. But I actually had to sit down, you know. I'd say ten a.m. ten a.m. to six every day for for a while, and uh, that was a very satisfying way of doing it.
0: That's great, uh, Ed. I've only ever seen you roof gigs, but what, was there a moment when you realised, oh, hello, I, I, this can actually be a job?
2: yeah and it was I did go oh hello out loud um no I I don't know because obviously I think the majority of us start doing comedy because we love comedy um and I was doing it at uni and enjoyed meeting people through comedy uh and I mean I guess as soon as you start getting paid you think oh there might there might be something to this but you never expect I certainly you never expect things like off menu to take off you never expect people to actually pay to come and see you live so it always feels like a very organic process. It's not, I don't think there's a moment where you're like, yes, this is my job now. I
0: certainly never had that. I can tell you my moment. Mm. It's quite an earnest thing to say this. Uh, I got an email from the BBC and it was because Nick Helm, it's the first time I'd ever done warm up. Nick Helm had asked me to warm up Heavy Entertainment and my wife says that that was the moment where she, sorry for my language here, but when she saw the email, she went, oh, for fuck's sake because she thought it was a hobby that was yeah. going to pass and then then she was like oh he might he might end up doing this for a living you, you, Do you know what i mean that so i i did have that specific yeah, i know your wife's very supportive that's that's <laughs> the vibe i'm getting <laughs> emily if you're listening please come back um, but no, so there wasn't there wasn't a, there wasn't that specific moment like that then i think maybe um I got asked to support
2: Greg Davis on tour, which was probably 2010, 2011. And that that was definitely a moment where I was like, okay, well, look, these are regular gigs. I'm out on tour. That's where I got sort of properly bitten by the bug in terms of I'd like to be able to do this one day. Tour tour around the country and perform to like decent sized crowds because that was an amazing experience. And supporting people on tour is brilliant because it's incredibly low pressure and
0: they pay for everything. <laughs> Oh my God. Honestly, I, I, as you know, I look up to you so much. Where, how, how do you write gear? Do you do it where, again, is it de a ling or are you walking in the park and then all of a sudden you go, hang on a minute?
2: It's definitely not de a ling when it comes to stand-up. Uh, it's normally, oh God, I've got a gig in half an hour. Um, <laughs> let's have a look at my notebook. I would have invariably scribbled some sort of nonsense down in there. And then when I get like a solid idea for a story I'm going to tell. I'll just try and add a new line every time. So that's why, like, I come to your gig a lot, and a lot of the time it's the same as the last time I was there, but there'll be one new line. And if that new line is good, then I've done my job for the night. Because you just keep doing that, and then eventually you end up with a show
0: somehow. Ed uh, Ed Gamble did, did always be comedy the other night, obviously absolutely mullered it, and there was a gag, applause break, and Ed went. I just wrote that downstairs. But that's yeah. that's a great thing though, isn't it? Yeah, and
2: that is true. By the way, that's not that feels like some sort of old hacky music hall thing to do. You go, <laughs> I just I just came up with that. But no, I, I had genuinely just come up with it. If, imagine if you see me in twenty five years and I'm still saying that after after that joke
0: oh one of my pet hates and I bet it's one of yours too is when an act does that like fake laughing and yeah. uh, you know making out where am I getting this stuff from I, I don't know mate but I know you did it last night you cracked me up at the exact same moment
2: yeah that for me if if, if we're laying into uh, specific things that we don't <laughs> like in stand-up comedy um, that for me is on a par with uh, doing a mime of something and then going oh I don't know what that is. Oh. that is that's, that's the worst
0: Doing all that is, it's the hundredth night on the trot that you've done it on the tour.
2: Yeah. Also, and I, I am guilty of this sometimes, and it's a specific thing sometimes when you're emceeing. I think I think people, when they're emceeing, are allowed to get away with certain things because there's stock things that all MCs end up doing. But I think it's allowed when you're emceeing is saying this is the weirdest gig ever. This is the weirdest gig ever. And it's basically telling them that they're interesting <laughs> to make you're, them more interesting. You're
0: fanning the flames of the of the yeah. audience's ego.
2: I've seen people do it when it's just the most normal gig of all time. Go, yeah. This is the weirdest gig. God, yeah. you guys are a great audience. Yeah, and they go,
0: are we? Well, well, we'll start laughing more then. What's your name, John? What do you do? I'm an accountant. You guys are <laughs> you are off the bloody chain. You it's like the weirdest oh. gig ever. <laughs> uh, now the because I follow you on the social Ed. It sounds mm-hmm. weirder than i would like the photo shoot for the book please talk us through that because we're not talking cgi there, there is a lot of real uh the pr in your head right now is going oh james this is excellent book pluggery but the uh it sounded like book pluggery but it's i promise <laughs> i said book pluggery um please talk us through the the shoot how many showers were needed and so on because that it was full-on wasn't it
2: yeah so we um we sort of put my head through a table Up from under the table, it wasn't like a wrestling thing. Like up through a table, like with loads of, loads of like donuts and snacks around me because it's a food book. Um and and they were filming it like this is it's all content. So the publishers are filming it and releasing like a cover reveal video of us doing this ridiculous shoot. Uh, and some people posted below going, um, you could have done that in Photoshop. It's like yeah, that would have been a great fucking video, wouldn't it? Just a video of a man at a computer adding clip art of donuts near my head Try to have a laugh oh um, my god so we did that that was the cover and i think as we were doing that it was like right well that's going to be the cover but they were like well, we've got a couple of ideas let's just get this now and they put a pudding they made a pudding on my head and poured chocolate sauce all over it in full knowledge that that would not be the cover I'm like, why are we doing this I'm like well it might be it's like you know it's not going to be the co- you've already said we've got it and now you just pour it and that chocolate sauce stinks it Le- takes a w- while to it, come out of your skin is it legit chocolate sauce yeah legit chocolate sauce oh, very smelly God. it's that syrupy stuff not nice not nice james given the old type one are you all right
0: with all that sort of stuff i take it
2: i'm all right with it touching my skin yeah i don't know if you know how uh <laughs> how the body absorbs sugar but you, I can have it on my face.
0: Me, me, my Christmas dinner, rubbing the turkey yeah. in my face. Yeah, Can't oh, quite taste now. this. I'm full.
2: Um, yes, I'm fine with having chocolate sauce poured on me. Um, and it, you know, I I could eat it as well. But you don't. I find you don't want to eat things as they're cascading down your head.
0: Oh, I wish I'd not asked that. But at the same time, I'm delighted that I did. <laughs> um, now, with we off menu tour, have have you? Has it ever gone overseas? Is there a plan to like hit the US or Australia and what have you? Maybe one day. I mean we've done
2: uh we've done a live one at JFL in Montreal, um, which was mad because it was busy. Like there were there were people there who were very excited for it. Um so I think I so I know we've got a decent listenership in the States and Australia and New Zealand, so hopefully one day, but that's a lot of admin, isn't it? That's a lot
0: of work. It's a lot of work. Uh, I- I'm going to share something about Ed and the nature of the off-menu fans. Ed and I were walking to Always Be Comedy. We were, we'd were we been in Vauxhall, I think. And I said, to, as we're walking, I don't think I'm exaggerating this story. As we were walking, I said to Ed, what are the off-menu fans like? And as I asked this question, a young woman walked past us and went, are you Ed Gamble? And Ed went, yep. And she went, oh my God, I love off-menu so much please may I have a photo? And Ed went, of course. I took the photo. She was so happy. And as she walked away, she shouted, thank you. And then shouted, I love living in London so much. (laughs) Ed and I continued walking. Ed looked at me and went, yeah, they're pretty nice.
2: Yeah. (laughs) That was sweet. I'd forgotten about that. I love living in London so much, as if that's happening to
0: her all the time as well. She can't leave the house without seeing one of her favorite podcasters. Uh, yeah, I mean the fact that Peter Crouch was just behind us was extraordinary. Yeah. Can I? I've, just, I've got to say this, Ed. You, you are you're, you're quite literally, and I speak on, and I speak for Tim here as well. One of our absolute favourite comedians. The gear is great. The crowd work is great. You have funny bones. Were you were you a funny child? The reason why I ask this, I all the, I know that a lot of comedians, certainly comedians I love, when they get asked, were you the Class Clown." and invariably no i was actually really quiet now as someone who was like a pastiche of the class clown uh what what, what were you like
2: oh yeah i was I, I certainly wasn't quiet i was always i was a little asshole. i think i was cheeky cheeky i was a cheeky boy but i was always trying to make people laugh yeah i certainly i, I i'm certainly not that guy who's like oh I was so i was so quiet and humble and then just one day i told a joke And then I found my place and I was just like shouting as I came out of the womb.
0: Mate, how many interviews do you hear like that? Like a comedian, I'll I'll really admire. And it'll be, yeah, I I was, I was actually, I was, yeah, I was really quiet. it's so regular. It's so rare that you actually hear, yeah, I was, I was a, I mean, I was, I was a, I was a cheeky shit as well at school.
2: Yeah. All I hear when I hear comedians go, I'm actually off stage. I'm quite a quiet guy. I think, right, well, I'm not hanging out with you then.
0: (laughs) 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 Sounds so boring. Uh, and also I think Ed, the dudes that, you know, we are, we're very lucky. The dudes that we're pals with, we have, I hope that we have that right level of, uh, I shouldn't say self-hatred, but you know what I mean? You'd never accuse any of us of being full of ourselves. No,
2: no, I think you need, well, I think you need a level of self-awareness. And I don't think, I think if you go into everything going, I'm the best, that's, that's brilliant. I'm doing really well. Then you're never going to you're never going to progress because you always, you always need to be thinking about the next thing, which I think in itself probably has its, uh, has its negatives. Like I certainly, and I think most comedians that I am friends with uh, do this. Um, I certainly never, I'll never do something and be like, oh, wow, I did that thing. I'll be like, right, what's next? I'll always be thinking about what's next rather than what, what I'm actually enjoying and doing at the time. But I think you kind of need that to
0: progress. I'm delighted to ask this question as a fan of the pod and Ed, you've no idea what that means to Tim and well, you do have an idea. Cause I tell you most days, <laughs> but how have you as soon as listened to, I think pretty much all the episodes, how have you found the process of, of picking the gig? Oh, it's absolutely, it's devastating. It's been playing on my
2: mind for days. Um, it's uh, I mean, it's the sort of, people say this when they come on off menu and they have to pick their dream meal. They're like, this is a horrible question to ask someone. And I feel this. I feel the same about this. Also, yeah, I've really, str- I've really struggled, James. I've got notes on my phone, um, and I don't think I've. We're going to have to nail it down as you ask me. I think.
0: Uh, it, I've got to say, I, I think I've said this before, and I've certainly said it to James and Joe, but I think of Joe Thomas's lamb story once a week at least.
2: Oh yeah, I mean that's that's one of the greatest stories of all time, and I, I'd I'd happily come and watch him do a full preview Always Be Comedy, just
0: telling the story about burying the lamb t- for an hour. It was one of those, I, I know where I was. I was in Cater Park in Beckenham on one of my lockdown walks and y- y- laughing uncontrollably. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's joy. I mean, I, I know everyone listening will have already checked out off menu, but if you, if you, if you haven't done the Joe Thomas episode, uh, what, 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 a, what a sweet guy. That's a classic. It's a classic. He's amazing. Uh, right then, so Ed. Oh God, I've got to say, one of the re- one of the many reasons I love Ed so much is that Ed, no- Ed really knows me in the way that my wife really knows me, and knows all my total bullshit. And so I was going to say, what are your pre gig rituals? And I've got to I've got to reveal this. One of my favourite things, probably in the world, is how much Ed Gamble laughs at me in a very nice way but laughs at me because he watches my pre-gig rituals before I go on stage and one yes. of them is like having my back to the crowd the fact that I'm clearly taking it all incredibly seriously and all of that I love it but do you have any so what I do I'll go uh and now please welcome to the stage but the, the my back has to be the, to the crowd I might get myself in the zone even though we've done the gig 12 billion times you know um Also, if
2: you've not been to Always Be Comedy in Kennington and you're listening to this, please understand that there is absolutely no way James is hiding from the audience. It is a very small room. We're stood behind the bar. Everyone can see him. So the fact he turns his back is just the fact that you think if you can't see them, they can't see you,
0: and your back is a curtain. We can all see you, mate. Oh, God. In my mind, it's as if I'm behind a curtain at Madison Square Garden,
2: sure, but you've got you've got to feel like that, right? That's how you get the energy. That's how you. That's how you go out there with the uh, with all of the enthusiasm that you have. But the back turning thing is very funny. And then also, my favorite pre gig ritual of yours, if I may, uh, is ordering a full uh, plate of dinner and then leaving it on the side for the entire gig.
0: So we we had a gig last night, and uh, Ed Ed wasn't there, but I I ordered the fish and chips. Of course, always fish and chips. Honest to God, that entire play of fish and chips went untouched (laughs) until after the gig had finished, and then I just like crammed a whole fish in my mouth. A bit like Dan Aykroyd in that Trading Places scene. (laughs) Uh, Do do you yourself have... I thought of you last night, actually, as I was cramming the fish into my mouth. Do you (laughs) yourself have any pre gig rituals? I have less and less and less as time goes on. So
2: I think I used to think I had to get myself pumped up or uh, I'd have to get in the zone um, I've discovered fairly in fairly recent years that my zone is absolutely having no zone. That's when I'm good, when I'm just walking on. So I want, you know, the, the aim of what the sort of thing I do is I want it to be, you know, vaguely conversational. I want it to be myself on stage. So I don't want to change that um, by doing something just before the gig. Like I'm, I try and be as relaxed as possible. I have to not care about the gig. I'm the complete opposite to you, James. Yeah. I have to really not care about the gig or how it goes. And that's the only way I can relax. So... That's so good. Now, like, if, if I'm on tour, I'll just be chatting with Chloe Pets who's my support act, just, like, being a complete idiot with her. Uh, we'll have a Nando's a couple of hours before the gig uh, and then normally watch MasterChef. My tour manager's always very surprised Certainly when he first started tour managing me, he'd be like coming into the dressing room to be like, You've got five minutes, we've got clearance. you so clearance means you're on stage now, basically. And I'd be lying on my back with my laptop on my balanced on my stomach, watching Master Chef, and then I'd go, All right. And then just shut the laptop and sort of bumble on stage. So I need I need that. And any any other rituals, I get no, I can't I can't do it. It just
0: makes it seem too much of a thing. That's a good. That's that. That's a really good way to be. But also, I, w- I imagine that has taken years to get to that level. Yeah, I Jedi.
2: Yeah, it's it's taken a while for me to realise that. But I find that with a lot of things in stand up where you realise it's actually a lot simpler than than you gave it credit for originally. Like it's this huge thing in your head when you start, but then you're like, oh no, I just need to be relaxed. People need to know that I'm not nervous about it. Or that I'm worried, or that I'm doing bits that I'm that I'm doing bits that I've I've planned and I've got to get all these lines in the right order. Like as soon as people smell that, I think the audience the audiences are very intuitive. I think they they switch off a bit.
0: In Alan Carr's first book, Look Who It Is, he says about the the audience have a greater inbuilt bullshit detector than a lot of comedians realise. Yeah, totally. They, they get that whiff of if something's inauthentic yeah. or what have you. And that, he, or or if a story definitely didn't happen, yeah, um, that's
2: why I I tried to stop saying, genuinely, and the things like that when you're telling stories because that to me when you see a comedian go and genuinely, you're like, well, definitely not. Yeah, <laughs> if what you an have to use the to word, say. <laughs> if you have to use the word genuinely, imagine if you were speaking to someone and they went, and this is genuinely what happened, you're like, <laughs> yeah, I believe you. I believed you up until that point. <laughs>
0: Whatever you do, please don't check with anyone else.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. Who who MCs the gig, Ed? Oh, this this is genuinely the hard. I think the hardest role to fill, because um, MCing is hard.
0: Ed said genuinely, which suggests it was a piece of piss.
2: Genuinely, it was. It wasn't a piece of piss because I still haven't decided. I wasn't going to pick you because someone's already picked you and what you've got to know about me is I don't want I won't order the same thing as someone in a restaurant and I absolutely refuse to have the same choices on a podcast I want these to all be oh wow outstanding so someone's already picked you but obviously James I think you're wonderful I always look forward to coming to do your gigs you're a fantastic (laughs) MC I emailed desperately this morning uh, as well to find out who Nish picked because I feared we would have some similar similar choices and he did he picked Daniel Kitson, didn't he?
0: Daniel Kitson and you. What, joint MCing? That'd be a fucking nightmare. I think he saw, I think ultimately I think he may have fallen just on the side of Kitson if he had to pick someone. Yeah, but we enough. talked very warmly about Eddie as well. Yeah. Well that is a good choice. I mean Kitson
2: is an absolutely amazing MC. I did I did jot him down and he sort of represents a generation of MC, the sort of I think the heyday of, uh, of late and live at the Gilded Balloon uh, during the Fringe where people were going for the MC. So technically probably not great MCing because if you th- <laughs> see an MC's job as to facilitate the acts and to get everyone warmed up and to keep the evening running smoothly, it's probably, I mean, I, don't, I God knows how long those guys were doing before they brought acts on. But I think it was always exciting watching that as a punter like these sort of they're almost like conductors of chaos they're 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 taking the chaos they're riding it they're creating more chaos and Kitson was absolutely amazing at that um same with my uh my old double act partner Ian Boldsworth or Ray Peacock as as he was known then uh truly one of if you were on a gig and and he was emceeing you know something was going to go off and it was either amazing or it turned into a complete fight <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was always very exciting watching him MC but I feel he's not really doing it anymore this is I'm setting myself rules for this James I know it's a fantasy gig
0: but that, that era you're talking about there the, the, Ian Daniel maybe slightly before that Pe- I think Peter Kay was, was similar when he yeah. was an MC and then Johnny Vegas I think was probably similar
2: Vegas I mean maybe Vegas like what,
0: I because people were like you say that's where that's where Ponters would go to see the MC yeah yeah and the the in fact the acts, from what I've read and heard, it was like the acts were getting in the way of the crowd wanting to see that particular MC.
2: Yeah, I think I think Adam Hills had a similar thing as well. I think he was, you know, an amazing an amazing MC. And Russell Russell Howard, uh, who who was one of those regular late and live uh, MCs, and you don't get to see it anymore really. Russell Russell MCing, um, but you can see it. You can see that within him when you do is like a small club gig with him and he's working out material. He's so excited to be there and to be in that small room. Um, so I would like to see that again as well. Uh, but actually I want to pick someone who's still doing some MCing and I'm, I'm going to pick John Robbins because I, I think he's an absolutely outstanding MC, a brilliant Incredible. comic. Uh, so yeah, I think, I think I'm think i going to pick John Robbins. He's a wonderful, wonderful MC and then he drops material in, and the material's fantastic. But he could just banter for for hours.
0: So much love for John. So much respect. What, you know, such a pure comedian. And as you say, that the, you know the crowd work is impeccable. And then the the gear. And you know, Tim and I have been lucky enough to see some of the stuff he's working through at the moment. Uh, just what a, what a, a terrific all round comedian. Yes.
2: Yeah. He is marvelous. So, yes, I would like John Robbins to MC please. I'd be excited to go to that gig. I also want to pick people that I'd like to hang out with in a
0: dressing room. Is that fair? mate <laughs> you're not the first person to say that you want you want to have the night where you've got hashtag happy vibes off stage yeah, as well yeah, totally
2: and uh I like hanging out with Robbins because he is an excellent conversationalist unless he doesn't really want to, in which case he's very comfortable with uh, a silence, and so am I. I quite like, I I like being in a calm, silent room with John Robin sometimes.
0: I I don't know John as well as you know him, but I do know that, I think John, dare I say, it warmed to me when we were exchanging warm-up stories and, hang on a minute, I'm not suggesting that he wasn't warm before, but I do remember us exchanging tales of TV warm-up and he enjoyed a great deal that all my anecdotes were suffice to say I'm a twat <laughs> <laughs> as all good anecdotes should be mate what what is the sorry I'm, I'm doing a Seinfeld here but what is the deal with someone who tells you an anecdote and it's suffice to say I'm a legend
2: yeah and then I won the story there was a there what? was a bit of that going on in stand up for a while where people's people's stories would be and then I turned around and said directly to directly in his eyes I genuinely said I'm the winner of this story thank you very much good night I went, no
0: Absolutely. Not in, not in Britain, my friend. Mate, come back on stage and tell that story <laughs> properly. Uh, how, how how did you meet Robbins? How long have you been pals?
2: Been pals for a while. I can't remember the first time I met him, actually. It was probably like an Avalon Network gig. Uh, and I think we were we probably didn't gig together that often because we were both MCing a lot. So I used to MC all the time, to the extent that I had to make a decision one day to stop doing it uh because I didn't want to get painted into that corner necessarily but I was doing it like five six times a week um and loved doing it and I think I was quite good at it but the thing is if there's another if someone else is emceeing all the time you're unlikely to see them at gigs a lot of the time um but yeah me and Robin's chat a lot now but um I do enjoy it when he emcees which he does now and again
0: can I just say you made the right choice now I on a personal level i I did the right thing and painted myself into the m c in corner that was the right decision but you also run a an empire of gigs well, what happened with me was that the i was getting this i'm going back a long time I was getting paid m c work and more so than I was getting paid to do sets and it sort of the it was like it was i was gonna say the universe it's very much the comedy industry <laughs> telling me you're a better m c than you are doing sets and I'm very you know at the time and looking back total agreement very comfortable with that <laughs> bit bit defensive but um but yeah but for you Ed that was that was it wasn't even a sliding doors moment that was just 100% the right call wasn't it
2: yeah I think so but also I was definitely I was better at emceeing than I was was at doing sets because I was barely doing any sets because I was emceeing and I always I, re, I really refused to do material when I'm emceeing like I I I think there are people who are brilliant at making that shift from emceeing into material while they're emceeing that that gear shift. But for me, it's like it feels totally unnatural. And again, I think the audience can pick up on that. To be like chatting to someone and creating something in the room, and I love—I used to love setting something up in the room in the first section and coming back to it in the last section. I love—I loved all of that. But to then go and here's some material I've been working on, always felt hugely unnatural. So I wasn't getting to practice doing actual stand-up uh, for a long time so I had to make that call of going like unless it's a very special gig i.e I good money I am not I'm not doing any more MCing. didn't you want to have a marriage proposal while I'm seeing I don't think so I mean also what I would say for the purposes of this podcast my memory with gigs I've done uh, other people's material and my own material is absolutely dreadful so the 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 anecdotes aren't going to be flowing thick and fast i don't i don't think i've ever been there for a marriage proposal
0: right i don't think i was, i was on warming up celebrity juice and accidentally wandered into a marriage proposal <laughs> couple in the crowd <coughs> So I'd, uh, a promoter had told me that that uh, that wasn't me just bringing it back to my own <laughs> marriage proposal anecdote. I I I'd, I'd heard that you had, but if, if maybe maybe
2: no. It's perfectly possible that I have, and I've completely forgotten it. Um, because my my brain just now just holds what it needs to, and then dumps dumps
0: the rest. Oh God, absolutely. Uh, now Robbins emceeing.
2: Did you? Did you say there was a marriage proposal
0: at a recording of Celebrity Juice? Yes. Yeah, sorry. So doing some crowd work. Uh, you know, you know, what's your name? Where you are from? Who's this? How long have you been going out? And it was like, ele- you cl- ele- classic
2: crowd work. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I've been going out eleven years. And I, and I, I said something like, huh, "What? What a great time to propose!" And I think at a gig, people would have known that I was that was a joke. Yeah. And then, like, the, I'm pretty sure. Hmm, I wonder if I, I wonder if I made the crowd chant. Would that, that probably is more likely, but I think the the crowd got behind the idea of a proposal, and then ne- next thing you know, Keith Lemon is running up the stairs. <laughs> this is true, and the guy, yeah, the guy gets on one knee, and thank God she said yes. Um,
2: yeah. Look, I'm not. I don't wish that that relationship is over, but I'm going to say I don't. I don't expect much from a marriage that was started at a recording of Celebrity Juice. It doesn't It doesn't feel like the most romantic place you could propose to someone. What
0: what, what I will say uh, to the couple's I- I credit was that... Uh, by the way, uh, Keith, on a personal level, could not have... Always so kind and lovely, uh, a fellow Leeds dude. A lot of love for Keith slash Lee. But what happened was the couple reached out to me uh, a couple of days later and said that they, to sort of back up what you're saying, they didn't feel right that their special moment would be televised. And so yeah. they asked that the proposal was not included in the recording. And then in a, in a private, more intimate setting, he then proposed. And yes. so that-, that... Celebrity just doesn't is... feel like the right show for a proposal. What I'm saying is if you're listening, I really hope you're still together. <laughs> um, yes, right, okay. so who is uh, who's opening the gig
2: <sighs> who's opening the gig i've got a long list of people here i want i want to set this up like a like a proper it, it should feel like a proper opener then i'm going to ask for two acts in the middle james and you're going to you're going to let me do it damn right yeah um also i i, could, I did complain to you over message that too many people were picking americans or dead people I feel like we need to limit our fantasies, James. We can't just have these massive Americans who
0: don't ever gig here on this dream gig. Because this so, is at, this is in Kennington, right? Isn't it? The dream so, gig. Well, well, just to explain, when ADG when WhatsApps feedback, this is the nub of the feedback, basically. Yeah. Ed Ed feels that comedians should be picking comedians that they see a lot, gig a lot, have probably a proper feel for, rather than someone whose DVD they may, they may have seen. I guess he's, he's... I'm putting words in your mouth, but... but
2: he- I think that probably says more about me that you've said, um, book your dream gig, and I've gone, yes, I will book my dream gig, but dreams must be severely limited. <laughs> there must be rules to dreams, James.
0: Uh, I want to have Richard Pryor. You walking in with a clipboard. Yeah. No, 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 no. No, Sorry,
2: absolutely not. Richard Pryor, no way, is doing this gig. He's the double <laughs> whammy of dead and American.
0: <laughs> The double whammy. Right, okay. So also, also
2: what I would say is that I think a lot of a lot of my choices are oh my I also didn't want to pick like I think people might expect me to pick Nish or James, Nish Gumar, James Acaster, because we're very, very good friends and obviously those are two of the best comics in the UK. I'm not I'm not going to pick them. Um specifically for that reason that I think people would expect me to. And also a lot of my lineup will feel quite nostalgic because it's acts who were doing great things. Just before I got into comedy or just as I was starting, and I have amazing memories of them uh, from the fringe. Um, it's tricky. This is very tricky because I did want to also pick an American <laughs> to open. Was it, Pryor? <laughs> it was Richard Pryor. It was Richard Pryor. So I am going to pick to open the gig uh, Dan Antopolsky. <sighs> Outstanding who was absolutely my favourite comic, one of my favourite comics when I started getting into comedy. I like quite weird comedy. I like weirder comedy than you expect for someone who's quite a straightforward stand-up comedian. So I was thinking maybe Munnery uh, was another one of my favourites. But Dan was just, when I first saw him, I was so excited that someone could do something that's so ostensibly weird, but also felt quite mainstream as well, like proper gags, but just from a really imaginative angle. I I absolutely loved him. I can't remember there was a <clears throat> there was a TV show back in the day. I think it was called the Live Floor Show. I don't know if you remember that. I'm... I think I think Dara might have hosted it, and Dan was on that. And there's like a five minute set he did on that that I saw, and I think that was the first time I saw him. And I, I was just blown away. He's just got he's such such poise, but so silly. And just amazingly structured jokes. there's a joke on that where he says, and um, people often ask me, "What's my secret?" and I say, "I killed a boy and that is that's <laughs> that's pretty much my favorite sort of joke
0: <laughs> boiled down to a nub uh, so when, now when you first met him, did you have that uh we, you know we are nervous because I've had that where, where you meet people who you looked up to before you'd actually pursued comedy yourself, and when you speak to them, there is the voice in your head going, "Oh my God, yeah. uh, d- did you have that moment with Dan?
2: It may maybe very briefly, but he's such a nice man that it immediately like, and also I think we did a gig together and he was driving. So you immediately have to get over that quite quickly because I couldn't drive at the time and I was just going around and emceeing and doing like middle spots or whatever. And I think it was an Avalon gig. So he gave me a lift. And then once you're in a car with someone for five minutes, you're basically, you're, you're chatting at the same level, I think. Oh, that's
0: great uh also what a like, great comedian great gear great delivery but also i, I love i love physicality in comedy and you you know you are you are one of the absolute best physically he's got a great face as well hasn't he yeah. he utilizes every facet of his comedy being
2: totally he's just got he's just he's a total natural uh like physically it's, it and then he did i think he did a couple of Edinburgh shows in a row that were like back to back bangers so it was i think it was dan antopolski's penetrating gaze was the, was the name of uh, one of his shows and within that he started doing raps he was like i'm going to do raps and it was you hear about a white comic doing raps and you're like well that sounds painful but just the way he did it was so him and um uh one of the one of the raps was um children are great but babies are cunts and it was <laughs> so funny um and I've not seen him in, in years. Actually, I would like to. I would like to see you know the sort of stuff he's doing now because I think he's also, of course, was one of the uh, the the great uh, Dave best joke of the Fringe winners uh, to the extent that that joke went mega viral because they they you know put so much press into it and then people started putting it on T shirts and the joke was basically taken off him. It was the Hedgehog's. Uh, why don't they just share the hedge? Is a Dan Antropolsky joke, and now that's just everywhere.
0: Oh my God! See, so like Dan Atkinson with the Wag of the Christie thing at the moment. Yes,
2: yeah, 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 yeah. But I think it's too late for for Antopolsky to to get that back now. Now it's on, it's on T shirts available from Redbubble.
0: Oh my God! What a bittersweet moment that is.
2: Yeah, but he's yeah one one of the absolute greats and represents an era that is feels quite dear to me because it was the
0: the stuff I got into before I started doing comedy. And I don't know, and Lee Mack has said this publicly. He, he, he one of his regrets is not having Dan in, not going out. Yeah, yeah, he, that, yeah. He, he wanted Dan and Catherine Tate because they were like Lee's pals. Well, they did this, the the sketch show together, right? Yeah, yeah. It's not, a, it's, a, it's not a classic anecdote, and I sort of regret saying it out loud. Well, I liked it. Tim, if you cut out that bit, I wouldn't be hurt, but I've got a feeling I'll be listening to this back when I listen to it. Um, Leave <laughs> all of this, right, all of this gr- in. Great. Keep it all in. Great start. Who, two acts in the middle? Who do you want for? So I want, I want a newer, I want a newer act
2: in the middle, definitely, because that's what I, I think is always exciting when you go to a gig and there's someone newer on. This is a dream comedy lineup, sure, but in my dream comedy lineup, I think you need someone who feels like a f- bit fresher and exciting. Um, so my first act in the middle is uh, Fatih Al Ghori. Fantastic who is a total natural and i don't think there's many comics like fatia aka comics who on the face of it do not give a shit genuinely could not give a shit she's so blunt she's so funny she's just she's very relaxed like i think her angles are great and they normally end with her just going just fuck off mate she's just like a proper she makes me she makes me laugh from somewhere deep she properly makes me cackle
0: and also uh, a bit like like you're saying earlier, in terms of you you want that natural natural transition from offstage to on. I, I sense with her, when I've chatted with her offstage, uh there's there's not much difference between Not at all. You know, not at <laughs> she's, all. She's she's chatting with you uh offstage and then she walks on and is essentially you know like the other extreme is say Milton Jones or Harry Hill, where offstage could not be more different to on stage. Yeah. It's Fatia, a bit like Alan Carr as well. There's there's no off switch, I guess, is what I'm saying around that No, round. T-
2: totally. I, I remember it was just, I think it was when you could do outdoor gigs. I did a gig with Fatia um, on the roof of uh, the roof of somewhere in Peckham. Um, and it was her first gig in a while. And you wouldn't have known, but she there was a little stage that you had to climb up to. There wasn't steps. You had to climb up to the stage to get on there. And she walked up, she took the microphone out, out of the stand from the stage, stood in front of the stage and said, they want they want me to climb up on that, but they must be high. And she just, <laughs> did, the, she just did the whole gig from the
0: floor. Good for her.
2: That's what I love. Absolutely love it.
0: And then what she's done in that one sentence is sum up her, her whole yeah. worldview, her totally. character, her angle, her, her persona, everything. And then the crowd immediately, yep. We know who that is. We know who that yeah. is and we're here for it.
2: Yeah yeah
0: she's Uh, fantastic she also absolutely has the world by the tail doesn't she
2: yeah I think yeah I think she's going to be absolutely huge um if she just keeps you know keeps doing it naturally like like she has been I think people are going to love her
0: uh that's a a terrific choice and good to have Tim and I like to uh like to champion a a new act that we've seen Uh, we've had uh Sharon Wanjo he hung with us a couple of times recently again like what a what a talent
2: I've not seen Sharon yet I've not gigged with Sharon yet but I've seen yeah I'm always always interested to see who you're uh, who you're plugging who you've got because you're, you're very good at being like this new person is amazing you need to see this new person so yeah I can't, I can't wait to do a gig with her and I'm sure it will be it'll always be Comedy Kennington because that is one of the only gigs I currently do
0: <laughs> mate we <laughs> could not be more grateful uh who, who else in the middle
2: who else in the middle? This was slightly tricky. Can I can I give you a list of people that I thought of?
0: Hundred percent.
2: So this was my this was my American, but she did gigs here a lot. Cat uh, Cohen, fantastic, absolutely amazing. Uh, Brian Gittins,
0: mate.
2: Uh, Tim Key, um, Two Hearts, Judy Love. Mainly for this, I mean, the same reason that we were talking about any comic who's just total natural, and Judy's just one of those people who just makes me laugh off stage and then walks on stage and she can do it there as well.
0: Judy Love, like Ronnie Barker, and compliments don't get don't get higher than that. But Judy Love can reduce a room, or indeed, if you just chat with with us two off stage, reduce a room to rubble. With an eye roll, with it,
2: yeah, with a look, she can do that. I mean, if anyone saw her on Taskmaster a couple of series ago, just outstanding. Like, I think they they would film Judy's reactions for longer than any any other contestant. They just leave, you leave the camera on Judy, and she's just looking around, she's looking down the camera, and she can just. I think she could do a five minute set. She could t- say one line at the top, and then just facially react to that line and the the audience's reaction. She's almost like it's almost clown esque the the way she reacts to uh the room and what she does with her face i think she's absolutely hilarious maybe 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 we have judy i mean look i i had john kearns written down as well Uh, amazing yeah i had great
0: and also like everyone else on the list as well but great hang off stage as well yeah
2: great hang off stage i think we go with judy because we you know that that was a nice chat we
0: had there (laughs) judy as well and i say this is a huge compliment i don't think maybe maybe I hope this ne- maybe maybe she must never know this. Judy doesn't realize just how naturally funny she is. Yes, and I think if she ever knows, you might be letting the genie out of the bottle. If that makes sense, let's not tell her. She must never, she must never find out. Now,
2: everyone, go and see Judy live, and when she comes off, go. That was a seven out of ten. Just tell her.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my god, she, uh, so funny! I hope she doesn't mind telling the story. She might mind. Uh, Judy knows how much, I, how much I love her and how much I always be comely loves her. Uh, also, my mum my, my hadn't been so well, and Judy knows that my mum is the unofficial chairman of the Judy Love fan club. Like, my mum has, like, this visceral adoration of, of everything about uh, Judy, and Judy... Well, that's
2: the other thing as well, isn't it? I think that's a really good point, in that I think you could put Judy on at any gig 100% because i think she appeals to every audience member everyone's like member know, every age every background. Career, that yeah. she's like she does taskmaster which is like the sort of cool comedy nerd thing and then she can do loose women and she's brilliant on both of them and everyone loves her so yeah may- maybe she's a great choice maybe i should have had her open but you know <laughs> there you go she's in the middle
0: she she did she did a video for my mom basically uh just you know wishing her well and whatnot and uh without ed knows that i tear up if someone opens a bottle of lemonade but that that meant a great deal to the the gill family uh, just a great dude but she wants she once lost her phone at always be comedy and uh maybe like my top 10 favorite abc memories ever yeah we we had we did an announcement at the break there's myself and mike wozniak literally crawling on our bellies under chairs looking for this phone. Tim asked the staff at the Tommy Field twice. He said the second time he asked, it felt accusatory, as in, like, as if they didn't believe in yeah, first time. Yeah. Second time was, Are you sure one of you hasn't got it? And so, poor Judy, we've searched the place top to bottom. All over the time, oh, announcement at the break, that when I said Judy's lost her phone, the whole crowd, speaking of beloved, to a person, oh, like, <laughs> like <laughs> devastated for her. The crowd's checking everywhere. So Mike Wozniak and I, we walk her back to a car and we're both just like, Judy, I'm, we're so sorry. And if Look, if we, we find it, we'll, babe, oh, you know, no worries, babe. And uh, opens the car, beep, beep. Do you know the, the the slot in between the driver and passenger seat that is being designed to keep a mobile phone in? Anyway,
2: that's where he was.
0: Oh, man. Like, some
2: comics, you're like, I don't know how... I don't know if Judy's like that all the time, but some comics, you're like, I don't know how you have a career or you function because I'm thinking specifically about Tom Crane. And if you know, if you know Tom Crane, he's one of the great comedy writers. He's like, most TV shows you've watched, Tom Crane's probably had a hand in writing. Um, but he is so disorganized. And I remember when he, he was in a sketch group with Dan Antopolsky, actually. Of course. Yeah. Um, and doing stuff at the same time as uh, as me and uh, me and Ian when we were in a double act. So we would do the same sorts of previews, uh, do double header previews and stuff. And I remember we were doing one, I think it was in Harpenden. It was like poorly attended, like in the foyer of a theater or whatever. And we were on second and we had a big setup of, you know, a screen and props and all of this. And we were on stage probably about 10 minutes in. It wasn't going great. Tom sticks his head round the door, like, and people like can see him. He's he's been on before. They're like, "Why is that guy back?" And there's like a silence in the room. We're like, "What? We like, what do you want?" He's like, "I've left, I've left my phone charging on the stage. Can I come?" He just walk on stage during our show and get his phone back. (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh for the love of god
2: and the gig wasn't going well enough for that to be like a fun a fun oh, moment of breaking yeah because a fun gig
0: there's the vibe of like yeah you, you guys are crazy you know yeah Where, rather than like total silence as you can yeah. hear a, a comedian's footsteps as he walks <laughs> to collect his phone oh and then you've got to go back to the gear as well
2: yeah yeah it was it was a write-off but very uh, funny and i just don't know how some people function like i've always been i've always been pretty organized i think when it comes to to gigs and the like. And I, I feel like you, you need to be, but then
0: you meet people who are doing great and they, they don't know what day it is. Uh, right. Another great selection. Judy, funny bones, natural comedian, uh, and again, just 24-7. Oh, also, right, effortless, effortlessly hilarious. Also, I've, I've, this Ronnie Barker thing, I've, I've thought this for years with, with Judy. I, I swear, if she, with the right sitcom... If someone could write, you know, what, what Porridge was to Ronnie Barker. Yeah. I think uh, uh, I, the right sitcom vehicle for Judy, and I, I, I think she'd be a, uh, an incredible sitcom actor as well, I, th- I think. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd watch it. Uh, right. What a middle section. Right. So who is, who is? I, w- I would imagine that the room has been reduced to rubble, right? Judy has just absolutely floored it. They go for the break. Who comes back? As we come back, who's closing it?
2: This, I mean, this is this is pure nostalgia for me. And I think, I, I don't think I'll ever experience seeing an act like this ever again. The the electricity in the room. Um, and uh, it's We Are Clang. Uh, the, uh, well, I mean, say sketch group, they did sketches, but they were sort of very front-facing. Greg Davis, Marek Larwood and Steve Hall. We're talking like, this is vintage classic edinburgh stuff in a tiny room in the pleasants beside i think i think they did the hut as well so like small 60 70 seater room you're basically sitting on top of people in there it's boiling greg barely fits in the in the venue Marrick and steve and greg just look so weird together they do songs they do sketches it's disgusting uh it's It's irreverent. It's just brilliant. It's the the best live experience I've ever had. I think just just amazing. They did clang bang. I've seen. I saw all their shows. Like the first time I saw them was in Edinburgh in I think two thousand and four. I want to say and just wandered in. They were doing the Underbelly and that was their first show, and I was just blown away. And then the next years were when they really like nailed on and people started going mad for them. Clang clang bang and yeehaw clang are the two shows that were just just amazing.
0: Now, to any younger listeners who who may not be aware of them, they were the hot shits, weren't they? Yes. For quite a while. Absolutely. Tickets and, like Gold Dust. Yeah, they
2: they were just amazing, and they came back and did a best of in a massive room called uh, called Dick Party. I remember that, but I was uh-huh. I was like I was obsessed with them in a way that you know people are obsessed with bands, like we, me and Nish, and then all of our uh, other people who we were in the student sketch group with were just we were just just oh, loved them
0: worshipped them and this this was room shaking i can't breathe belly aching laughter wasn't it totally like people just crying like and it
2: and they were they were improvising a bit but they it was very cleverly written as well and it was just like I, i'd never saw them do anything other than completely
0: destroy a room and then now one of the great things about comedy uh, when double acts or sketch groups or sketches go awry because they've cracked each other up. Yeah. Now, Gr- Marek's ability to demolish Greg Davis is one of the loveliest things in in comedy, isn't it?
2: Absolutely. Marek Law was one of the one of the funniest people ever. I think. I mean, he did a he did a solo show that was incredible and ended with him dressed as a swan covered in shit. And that's that. That's what we're talking about. That's sort of like proper Clang stuff as well. Just like gross, immature, sort of very, I, I'd say maybe, you know, influenced by by Bottom and Rick and Aid quite a lot. Uh, it's just silly and and brilliant. And there's absolutely no, there's no boundaries in terms of just being disgusting. And I, I, I loved them. Uh,
0: so I, I warm up on the CelebAbility hosted by uh, Ian Sterling with Marek. Uh, as the adjudicator and Marek is one of those dudes where Sterling is often quite literally on the floor with laughter but then also uh, a huge compliment the crew are weeping because Marek Marek has such funny bones doesn't he totally totally
2: yeah I mean and them as a three was just was just perfect even just you just see them it's like Greg's six foot eight Marrick's a lot shorter than that. Steve's Steve would admit weird looking guy. He's he can stretch his skin. He's got that stretchy skin thing. They were throwing Great that out Great rubbery face, really rubbery face. Um, there was there was one thing where uh, they I think the sketch was about like sort of like the fly going through a transporter and f- <laughs> like you end up fused with something. And it was Greg and Marek on stage, and they lifted the curtain up, and it's just Steve's ass with he's lying on a table so it's just his ass with some eyes stuck on. And that that character was called Gary, Gary My Butt. Um, but like more and more, I saw that show a few times and he'd push his balls through the back of his
1: <laughs> oh legs God. more and
2: more every day just to try and crack crack Greg America. It's such a, they were such a funny team and you watch them as well. You're like, I want to be mates with them. I want to be part of this part of this gang. Um so that was an easy choice. It was definitely we are clang because I'd like I'd like to see them again and especially in a in
0: a small room. That's a great choice. Steve and I also will always have a special bond because we did Jonglers Nottingham together. So we'll we'll we we we'll it's one of those where we, we you should have had tattoos done. Yeah. <laughs> Just to mark the uh, A friend of mine came to see that show and he said to me that he'd always secretly wanted to give stand up a go. He watched that particular gig and vowed to never have that thought
2: <laughs> ever again. If Jongler's Nottingham is serving one, <sighs> uh, serving one section of the community, it's people who think they'd like to give stand up a go. It's it's keeping
0: the numbers down. Sweet Jesus of Nazareth, um, is that? Do you think there would there ever be a, a a glimmer of a chance of a of a clan comeback? Or is oh, it ever, I have I have no idea. I just, I have and no. also, I just guess, you know, life. Life changes. People do with the stuff. Totally, yeah.
2: And you wouldn't. you like with most things. You'd never be able to recapture that that moment. It would be not. It might be nice for nostalgia, but also they've all got their own things going on
0: now. Everyone's got their own things going on. Absolutely. I'm trying to remember. There was a very high profile case of somebody saying. I tell you, what it was. It was Carl. Carl Pilkington often gets asked about bringing that old pod back together, and he 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 likened it to it's when people want their favorite band to get back together and then they get back together and everyone's like, Oh, wish they'd not done that. Yeah. And I think sometimes in life, it's just best to have things crystallized in, in time, you know, in that particular time, I I suppose, let's be very grateful that Clang was a thing. Yeah. They had, they had, as I say, they had the world by the tail. So naturally funny, so beloved and very few acts before or since have been able to reduce buildings to rubble in the, in the way that they were able to.
2: Absolutely, and it was so live as well. Like it had, to, it had to be live. Like, and there was a, that was an amazing era for sketch. Anyway, because there was, there was them, and there was Anna and Katie, uh, oh or god. as as they were known, then Penny Spub's party um, were again my like go to every year in Edinburgh. Were just amazing, and Pappies as well. Obviously, oh my god, yeah, like just such exciting shows to go and see every year.
0: I've got to say of the of the three Clang dudes as well, um, three lovely dudes individually as well aren't they yeah totally
2: yeah yeah Lo- lovely lovely guys uh and just the whole the the whole look of it as well they used to wear these t-shirts that i think Marrick had bought or Marik or steve had bought from a market like these horrible sleeveless uh sleeveless right. t-shirts that they bought for like two quid from a market it was just it was perfect greg's barely fit him you
0: know oh in my mind's eye that 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 uh sleeveless top is uh it's almost ripping on, on Greg, isn't it? It's yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I just,
2: I love them, and they do, they do, they do like running characters year to year. So that Greg had a character um, uh, called Darren Chilblain, who was like a, like a street magician, uh, psychic sort of character, and Marrick would always be the stooge or the stooge who who kept fucking up and and was clearly a stooge. <laughs> um, it's so funny. Uh,
0: the risk of now where we are different you're you're not a schmaltzy guy you know uh, you have no truck for, for sentiment and that's that's a good thing whereas i do but Gre- it's fair to say that greg has, has has played a big part in your own career hasn't he
2: definitely i mean yeah i mentioned i mentioned him earlier in terms of uh, getting to support him on tour was a big a big boost in i mean, both sort of financially diary wise and confidence to be to be asked to do something like that um, so, and then you just get to go on the road and hang out the whole time, and it was very nice of him to book me for the whole tour. Uh, so I've I've also done that now that I can tour with the support act. I book Chloe Petz for the whole tour because I know it can sort of, it can really, it can really put a rocket under you because you're just gigging five nights a week to loads of different audiences and bigger audiences than you normally do. Oh, and it's so great. Well. And, then,
0: and then Chloe's been able to tour as well, hasn't she? You know?
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, Chloe did the smart thing of of a lot of her tour dates were in the same place a couple of months later. So she obviously smashed every gig um and then could say, oh, I'm back here in a couple of months and then and then sold
0: all those nights out. Superb, right. That's a, a, a phenomenal gig. Essentially a perfect gig. Now has there been an incident from a gig that you would love to replicate at this gig?
2: Now this is where my the, the my memory's gonna I t- okay, this is this is not going to sound good. Here's what I want to replicate at this gig. I want it to be cancelled. <laughs> okay. I want to get there, and then something's gone wrong, and it's cancelled, and we all just have a drink instead. <laughs>
0: Do I take it that has happened?
2: Oh, I love it! I love it when that happens. When you get it, used to happen more when you'd go to previews and there'd be like five people there, and then you, then all the comics get together and go, right, how are we going to convince the promoter to pull this? We we need this to happen, or it's like a hot day. It's a hot day. Not many people have showed up. All you want to do is sit in the beer garden, and you just have to go right. We're going to convince this. Where well, I I had one with Dan Atkinson once in Cambridge where. Where he was, he just turned into this like mastermind. Where he was like, right, here's what we need to say. We need to say that this can't go ahead. That it's damaging for the gig in the future. Uh, that if people, if people see that there's only six people here, uh, it's going to go badly. Then those six people are going to tell everyone it's bad, and this gig's not going to this gig's not going to survive. And we're just working out ways that we can just go for a pint instead. And I tell you a, a bit of material that really sticks with me a lot. Sean Walsh used to have a bit about going. This is this is great. I'm sure it's great being here, but it'd be better if it had been cancelled, because everyone loves it when stuff get, gets cancelled. If you're at home going, I've got to go out, the dream is you get a call going, it's off. Brilliant. And I love that feeling. So I think this gig would be cancelled, and then we'll just all hang out instead.
0: That's a, a superb, that's a, a a brilliant answer, yes. Now, <laughs> I don't agree with it, but... <laughs> but I appreciate
2: it. Yeah, but that's your promoter brain, isn't it? 100 percent i'd be like we we can still make it work you know no james but if if it doesn't work out then the gig's gonna get a bad reputation so you're better off just canceling this one and then just
0: oh do you think so maybe maybe you guys are right yeah uh right okay uh what about what's what's a, what's an incident that must never happen that's happened to you at a gig no stag do's, thank you
2: no no groups of more than three people are allowed at this gig if you want to hang out with with three or four of your friends you can go and sit downstairs and talk to each other But no big groups, specifically stag-do's. hen to a lesser extent, mainly stag-do's. I I once got a message when I was in Edinburgh, this was in 2016, from someone saying, oh, um, we're coming with 10 strong stag-do to see your show. It was an afternoon show. Uh, We'll be the ones in uh, Hawaiian shirts. So that's a nightmare. So you're worried about that the whole time and obviously they were disrespectful and then I I looked out I looked out at the show uh, as people were coming in and there was not just them another stag do had also come. And sat on the front row and they were dressed normally apart from the stag who was dressed as Margaret Thatcher. And you can't do a show when every time you look down Margaret Thatcher's there, you simply can't do it. And you can't reference them because if you reference them, they're like, hey, yeah, we're part of the show. But also you can't not reference Margaret
0: Thatcher. Then the audience think you've lost your mind. I can. I've got my head in my hands because I I, I can relate to this so much. Uh, Is this interesting trivia? we when always be comedy was brand new and and you were just grateful for every ticket that you sold we didn't have a limit on how many tickets you could buy right yeah. and then a hen party of 19 oh god turned up to a gig and were so drunk that it was anyway if you've ever wondered why you can only buy a maximum of 6 tickets to always be comedy <laughs> that is the specific reason why so 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 with Thatcher what i mean What did you do? Did you, did you reference
2: it? I think I I had to sort of briefly reference it, but I I had to go quite teachery on them basically being like, yeah, I'm going to reference this now because you want me to reference it. But now
0: your time is over and I must do the show. Because otherwise it's like, it's like (laughs) putting a bit of blood in for the sharks, isn't it? And all it does is just, it just whips them up and, you know, and
2: it makes other people uncomfortable. I think if you're just there to watch a fringe show and a big stag do come in, I think it sets people on edge. Um, So no Stag Do's, but then also it doesn't matter because the gig's been cancelled.
0: Yeah, perfect. And as long as you're drinking away from the Stag Do. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, we'd go to a different pub. Absolutely. Uh, Perfect. Has a Stag stag Do ever... Has there been a point where you're like, oh, fuck off? Or have you always been able to, you know, tame it, I suppose? I think I had a Stag Do. I did the
2: Apollo on tour last year and someone messaged me saying, oh, we're coming with a Stag Do. And I th- I, I think <laughs> I think I told my tour manager, and he was like, right, we'll just get a member of security to watch them all night. But I think they were on good behavior. I think they were on good behavior. Um, but it's it worries me the whole show. I was like, oh, one of them's
0: going to pipe up in a bit. It's going to destroy my special night. Oh, mate, I, I mean, yes. All right, it's not the Apollo, but Tim and I have definitely done that where, say, we've got an eye on someone and it's in your head and it's in Tim's head and you can't take your eyes off them. And then it turns out, They've been a dream all night and had a great night. Yeah, yeah, and that makes you feel terrible, doesn't it? Because you're like, oh, I've stereotyped just stag Do and then, and then any worrier listening will relate to this. Then you beat yourself up for ruining your own night because you'd spent all night worrying yeah. about a thing that wasn't worth worrying about. Yeah. Uh, I once, uh, I was relatively new to comedy. I, uh, Alex Horn had done ABC a few times. I, I, I love Alex a great deal, and I was on. I didn't realize at the time I was younger and, and naive but went on a stag do to edinburgh and the stat the stag party asked me for a recommendation and i messaged alex great news there's 27 of us are coming to your edinburgh show and i thought i thought i was being like a great friend and, yeah. and, and and i think i've subsequently apologized but alex must have read that message and been like oh no <laughs> When it was especially, fine they're all good dudes <clears> but again i imagine him him all night was thinking there's a there's a giant stag party in especially like alex's shows like like really cerebral
2: like meticulously put together it's the worst thing a stag do can do go do you know to. what show it
0: was as well it was the one where he starts off you know one of the greatest bits you can you, of, of, of recent years uh it's when he comes on and he complains about, not complains, but he points out that comedy is often performing the same material night after night. Yeah. And it turns out, and then he moves the microphone away from his face. And his point, his, the point of the bit is, uh, why don't we just pre-record the comedy and I'll just lip sync it? And it's, Yes. And it, but imagine how meticulous and how well rehearsed that is. And then some yeah. doylem has brought a massive stag party. Yeah. Awful. You're a bad man. Uh, Alex, once again, I'd like to apologise for that. My intentions were good. Right, okay. Uh, how do you unwind after a gig?
2: Well, it's probably similar to my um, to my uh, pre-show ritual in that I am fairly calm when I come off stage. I'm not like so pumped up that I need to unwind because quite often we'll just be, if I'm on tour, we'll just be straight back in the car anyway and then you know listen to a podcast in the car have a chat just try and I, I certainly don't wind myself up in such a state while i'm doing a show that i need i need to come down from anything i prefer to i think chloe was quite surprised the first tour date we did together i just walked off stage and it was a good first show and i i was like yeah okay cool because you got loads more shows to do so try and remain as balanced as possible because you can't do that every night you can't be like and then just like god how am i going to calm down um you can't do that night after night. I I certainly couldn't. You know, a, gla- a glass of wine here and there. M- me and my tour manager two tours ago had a rule where it was three drinks maximum in the hotel bar if we were having a drink. Uh, then we decided uh, on the next tour that we were two years older. So it was reduced to two drinks. Um, and I'm assuming on the next tour it's one, it's one drink
0: maximum. That's very sensible. And somebody reads a lot of books about, say, comedy in the 70s and 80s you can see why a lot of these guys got into like heavy drugs because they were so high on stage because the performance had been absolutely berserk that they yeah. i guess they felt the need to keep it going and then the cocaine comes out and then you know and I mean it's uh, you know what guys Th- those stories don't end well yeah it's
2: there's certainly none of that going on it's not rock and roll at all because quite often we'll just be you know
0: dr- driving to a hotel and then having one in the bar and then going to bed that's that's pretty much it I read a book about the history of Saturday Night Live, and they 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 say a, a common theme in this particular book is that in the seventies it was all about the about cocaine. You know these cocaine after parties. They would get a table out, and to, a person would stand at each end of the table. A long line of cocaine across the whole length of the table. People watching spectator sport. They would race, snorting, to see who could get to the middle. And then I think the winner quote marks. Whoever got to the middle first, the prize was being able to finish the rest of, of the line. Whereas it doesn't the, feel like a good prize after no, you've No, it's not her. a good prize. And then, the, whereas the current cast, and this has been the way for, for quite a while, it's more likely smoothies and yoga mats. Yes.
2: Yeah. And I, some people may say that's a change for the worse in entertainment, but I, I, I think, you know, it is more of a business now and people need to think about the fact that you know it's a job as well and also i just don't i don't want to race someone at cocaine thank you like lady and the tramp slowly moving towards each other doing a big line it sounds absolutely awful
0: oh my well done you win again oh god um do you ever do you ever have a a go-to youtube clip or sitcom or what have you you know for when you're in bed for 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 winding down or you or you you don't even need to do that no, I'll I mean I'll watch I'll mindlessly watch YouTube when, when I'm in bed, regardless of what I've
2: done earlier in the day. Like <clears throat> like pathetic things like I'll just watch loads of wrestling list videos or uh videos about about the newest sneakers. Like a fourteen year old boy, I basically have the watching habits of a fourteen year old boy. Um and I'll let
0: you make the rest of that joke in your head. Not at all. I, I do I do those similar wrestling list videos. <laughs> Mate, that I mean that is that is entertainment. Yeah. Uh, Ed, thank you. We we cannot thank you enough on behalf of Tim, myself, and the listeners. You put together a great night. That thank was you. that was wonderful. Thank you for being so generous with your time. Oh, thank you for having me, James. Uh, huge and heartfelt thanks to the the great Ed Gamble. Now, Tim, do you have a favourite Ed Gamble memory?
1: I do. It's it's a long time memory. If that if that's a thing, the first thing I ever saw or heard of ed gamble was his double act the peacock and gamble podcast it's this is not overstating it um it has inspired and influenced my taste in comedy more than pretty much anything in my head it goes the office peacock and gamble the simpsons i think it's one of the greatest things i've ever heard (laughs)
0: That's so lovely, and and then also would have proved a stepping stone to just more Eddie G.
1: Yeah, this is before he becomes the behemoth that he is, and that is a metal reference, which I'm sure he'll appreciate. And you know what, he th- he then ends up becoming a, a, a TV star. Now,
0: obviously, Ed's, Ed's done a lot of TV, but he then jumps to the the what the mainstream cut through. Call it what you like. Where I'm going with this in a roundabout way, my brother-in-law uh, WhatsApp me to say, now he's not—he's not—he's not, he's not, he's not a, a stand-up fan; doesn't go to comedy gigs, but he goes—he lo- he loves food programs, and he WhatsApp me to say, we're watching Bre- Great British Menu with this when it first launched. He goes, the Ed Gamble is absolutely hilarious, and as I say, that is that is what cut through is, and so uh, yeah, dare we say, it, Ed is a mate, and so to to have seen Ed become this. Uh, as Tim says, behemoth is a, it's such a wonderful thing. My favourite Ed Gamble moment, when we did the lockdown shows, we, we look—we were very mindful that the online shows aren't for everyone. And you know, you absolutely get that. But Ed Gamble was someone who did the lockdown shows pretty much throughout lockdown. And that was awesome. And so even on like a community level, Tim, because obviously we couldn't see these dudes in the flesh. So to see these guys over Zoom, it was like the closest we want to get to, to hanging out with them. So my favourite memory was Ed doing the lockdown shows and also doing some of the the, the the charity ones as well along the way. So always very grateful for that. And Ed was, Ed, Tim, Ed was one of those dudes that was just naturally excellent at doing the, the Zoom shows as well.
1: Absolutely. I guess because, this is an extra plug, his radio show with Matthew Crosby on Radio X, he's just such a natural just talking into a mic
0: any correspondence please send it in the team at alwaysbecomedy.com. we know that uh, a lot of you have been coming to the always be comedy shows at the tommy field uh, in the next few weeks and months we've got we've got a lot of mystery guests uh, we've got the likes of nish kumar rich hall abanderman anya magliano Kima bob uh rose matafeo josh Pugh. Uh, Kiri Pritchard McLean, Jen Brister, Daniel Fox. Oh my God. Mega talent. Sorry, the reason why my voice keeps changing is because I'm I'm scrolling down, down the Always Be Comedy ticket page. Uh, if you want to find out more about it, then I alwaysbecomedy.com. Hit us up on the socials at alwaysbecomedy. Timo, what are you on the socials?
1: I am Tim Lewis underscore on Twitter and I'm Tim Lewis, Tim Lewis on Instagram. What are you on the socials, James? at James
0: Gill comedy. Um, Tim, before we go, anything else to add?
1: Um, I don't think so. Thank you very much for all your correspondence, praise, <laughs> reviews, all that stuff. We love seeing it.
0: Dudes, I'll do it one more time. The five star reviews, you'd be helping us out enormously. Uh, as ever, any questions, Eric, any correspondence, please get in touch. We love it. Uh, God bless you. Have a great week and we will see you again soon. Goodbye. Thank you very much.